Jesus Christ. It's all about knowing him. And when I know him and recognize that there's a resurrection to come, that keeps me moving along. That's what fills me with this kind of hope and joy and peace. So Paul's been taking us on a journey. If you have missed some of those sermons, you've got to go and check them out online. Today, though, we're going to continue in Philippians 3. And, and as I was prepping for this, I was thinking about my life. And when I was in high school, I was a very academic person, very shy and introverted and did really well in school to the point where I got four point, no problem. I was valedictorian. I was always the first one done with my test, usually the top score in the class. And people always looked at me and said, hey, you are such a great student. You, you just work so hard. The reality was I did not. God has gifted me with a weird cocktail of things, right? And one of them is I have a really good memory. And when, when I hear things, I tend to absorb it and tend to keep it inside of me, and I don't lose it. So the reality was I didn't work that hard in school. I just kind of floated by, coasted by. As long as I got my A, I was happy. And I always knew I could have done better, but I didn't because I just wanted to maintain the appearance of being good at school. And that sounds, some of you are like, man, I wish I had that when I was in school, right? No, you don't. And here's why. Today's talented and gifted, just like I was, right? Talented and gifted. Why? Because I could respond well to lecture and all that. Today's talented and gifted students become tomorrow's special needs adults. For me, I came out of high school and I had never developed the work ethic and the study ethic that it would take to actually thrive in society. I actually needed a lot of help and it, it, I, I felt like I was at a disadvantage because I procrastinated and I just got by and I didn't have the skills it took to actually adult well. And so I had to develop all that on the fly. I had to learn how to really do good study work when I was in college. So coasting can only get me so far in, in academics. The same thing happens with spirituality. Following Jesus, it's really easy to coast and just say, you know what? Times are tough right now. I'm just going to get by. And what ends up happening is I realize eventually that even though I might put on a good front, I'm not really close to Jesus at all. I don't experience the peace and joy that Paul's talking about. Maybe when life is difficult, maybe for you it's not coasting. It's more like, man, I'm crumbling here. I'm crumbling under the pressure and really getting derailed from what God's calling me to do. And it's because of the pressures. Whether you're that, whether you're coasting, so many of us have a lot to learn through what Paul's going to try to teach us today. So I'd love to invite you to stand up. We're going to do what we did last time. I totally butchered this passage last service, so let's see if I can get through it. I believe in you, though. You can keep me on track. We're going to read, read Philippians 3, 12 through 4, 1. Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, 
many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for the fact that you offer us hope even when things are difficult, even when they might seem hopeless. The fact that you infuse our lives with so much peace and joy when we should have anything but those things. God, we're thankful that you are who you are. We're thankful that you have brought us here. Please, please get right through to our hearts today. Please open our minds so we can understand. Give us clarity around your word so that we can walk it out. We love you, God. We give you this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seats. There's a couple of passages here. So last week, we rolled into this where Paul says, okay, everything I have done is garbage compared to knowing Jesus. Like nothing that I, I bring to the picture is anything compared to just knowing him. He's like, I want to know Jesus. I want to know his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Jesus on every level, including his suffering and death. That's how desperate I am to be close to him. There's a, there's a couple of passages in here that roll out, out of that. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, and then I'll read 20 and 21, really frame this conversation for us. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all these things, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 20 says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I love how Paul says, okay, this life, it's really a life of pursuit of Jesus, straining toward what is ahead, right? Forgetting what's behind. There's this passion that he brings to the picture with, with what he says. But what's causing him to be able to run and live his life that way? Really, he's playing the long game. He's looking ahead. He's like, I could live for this life, or I could say this life is a blip, 70 years or, you know, 70 to 100 years maybe. This life is a blip compared to all of eternity. I'm going to pursue that. The fact that I get a new body, amen to that, right? Like I get this glorified body like Jesus has. I get to spend forever in his presence. That is worth giving everything I have, all of my life, all of my resources and energy to that pursuit. So really, Paul is saying there's this kind of life you can live where Jesus is at the center of everything and he's your pursuit. On the flip side, he talks about this other group of people, and it's one that causes him to literally weep. He says in verse 18 and 19, as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. 
So my hope and, and what I've seen in so many of you is that we're the former group that we're, we really do want Jesus. He says, on the flip side, though, we can live on this earth for this earth. He, he talks about their God as their stomach. That's a really weird, I don't know if you conjure some mental images to mind, like bowing down to a stomach or something like that, right? Like, what does that mean? He's really talking about appetite. What is your appetite? And that could be food, absolutely. But there are other things. Like for me, when I was in high school, my appetite was to appear like I was smarter than everyone else, like I knew what I was doing, right? It was this vanity appetite that I had. Other people, it might be drugs or alcohol, right? It might be something that's an addiction that's driving you. It might be entertainment. There's so many things that could be these appetites. And Paul is saying, look, there are people who they just live for those appetites. All they do is they chase after those things. And he's so sad. Why is he sad? He says, because their destiny is destruction. Those are people who don't really know Jesus. They're living their lives like Jesus doesn't exist. Whether they say they know him or don't know him, they're chasing after their appetites. But I love how Paul's writing. He's like, but I don't believe that about all y'all, right? All of you, you're not those sorts of people. Let's pursue Jesus with everything we have. So there's kind of these two categories. And I'm going to speak to us like we're the people who really do want to learn how to run. But maybe, like I said, we've been derailed by life. Maybe we're coasting through life. How do we learn to pursue Jesus the way that Paul's talking about, the way that he did as he's sitting in jail, writing scripture, a letter of intense hope and encouragement to a bunch of people as he's awaiting his execution? How do we actually do that? Well, Paul gives us some really good cues in and clues in this passage. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Paul encourages us, make it your own. Make it your own. When I was a kid, I, I thought, oh, you know, my, my grandparents were missionaries. My dad was a pastor at various times, right? Like, my parents are Christians. I'm a Christian, right? Mom and dad, they believe in Jesus, so I'm in there too. I'm grandfathered into the kingdom kind of idea. That doesn't actually work, right? As much as I wish it, like, oh, I hang out around the right people, or I come to church on Sunday, or things like that. They're all these things that make us think, oh, I'm part of this. One of them for me for a long time was I go to church, and I celebrate when something amazing happens, when people are getting baptized, but I wasn't actually getting my hands wet ever, right? Like, I wasn't actually sharing Jesus with people. Whatever it is, it's so easy for it not to be my own. But what I love is that when we do make it our own, it becomes this adventure of a lifetime, where Jesus is going to take us and carry us along. And it's so worthwhile to focus on this. And why do we want to make Jesus our own? Because he chose to make us his own. We never could have done it if he hadn't taken that first step. He made me his child. And he says, make me, make me your father. Make me your Lord and Savior. I want to be a part of your life. Jesus is so good at inviting us in. So Paul, in this passage, he says, look at my example. Look at other people who follow this example of mine. But don't think that that's you being, being a follower of Jesus. You've got to start to do it yourself. And one of the, the kind of litmus tests for me as I'm thinking about this is, what do I think about heaven? Richie read about heaven last week and how powerful and beautiful this picture is that there's no more weeping, no more mourning, no more pain, no more tears, right? The old order of things has passed away. Behold, I am making everything new, Jesus says. That's what heaven looks like, which is so amazing. But there's some more pictures in Revelation. I want to take a look at this. This is from Revelation 22, 21 and 22. Um, he's just, the author's name is John, and he's having this vision from God of what really the end is going to look like, how we can continue to be faithful to God, and he sees heaven come down. Did you know that heaven's going to be here? That might be a, 
a shocker for some of you, but scripturally, it says that God is going to choose to come make his dwelling with his people. Why? Because we could never get to him. That's the whole picture. God's going to bring it here. And he's just talked about how the new Jerusalem, heaven, has come down to earth. And this is where he picks up. He says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, that's Jesus, are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Chapter 22, 1 through 5 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is a picture of heaven, and there's so many amazing things in that. But I think about just that picture. Okay, you don't need the sun. You don't need the moon because you've got the sun, right? Jesus. You've got Jesus. He's the lamp. He is the light for the city. You have this picture of us as his servants serving him continually forever. There's worship in heaven, and it's this amazing thing. And you get a tattoo on your forehead of Jesus's name, right? Like, go. For some of us, as we're reading this, though, we might say, you know what? That doesn't really sound all that fun. Or like, I don't like tattoos. I mean, I don't. I, I would never get it. Jesus has given me one. That's a different day, right? But I remember when I was a kid reading a lot of these scripture passages, you know, and, um, and I remember thinking, oh, man, that doesn't sound that fun. Heaven doesn't sound that great because we're just going to be worshiping all the time. I had like clouds and harps and all that sort of stuff in my brain. And, and what I realized looking back is the reason why that didn't sound that fun was because I really didn't know Jesus very well. My perception of heaven was, man, I'd, I'd rather be here. There's a, there's a funny saying that, well, funny in a sort of weird, morbid way, but you go to heaven for the weather, you go to hell for the company, right? Have you ever heard anything like that? Like, I, you know, oh, man, all my friends are, are going to be in hell and I want to be there. And like, that's not how it works at all. Hell is where God's presence is not there. There's nothing good there. But there's this perception from people that, okay, heaven is going to be all somber and we're just going to be singing music all the time and those sorts of things. And I don't really want that. I, I want to be where it's going to be fun. And, and, and for me, this is a heart check. And I realize now I look at this description of heaven. I'm like, Jesus, take me. I'm ready for it, right? There's this change that's come over me. And this heart check isn't like an indictment, like, oh, you're, you're so terrible. This heart check is to say, you know what? Jesus loved me so much. He, he is worth pursuing with everything I have. And when I recognize that heaven isn't that appealing to me, it means, you know what? Jesus isn't that appealing to me, and I want to change that. I want to be drawn to him. So I think about this. How do we learn to pursue Jesus that way, to start to build a love relationship with him? And I, I want to use as kind of an example here my relationship with my wife as we were starting to date and all those sorts of things. Um, because this is deeply relational. Sometimes when I look at heaven as this big thing in the sky, and I'm not sure what it's like, it's so distant. It's all these activities. But the reality is in the heaven, Jesus is at the center. It's about him. It's about this deep relationship that we through our life with him. And so I think about my wife. When, when we first met and when we first started dating, um, 
I remember just being amazed at who she is, not what she does, right? But who she is, she's incredibly empathetic and caring and compassionate. And she's also got a, a crazy sense of humor and very quick-witted and just all these character things about her made me fall in love with her, right? Jesus is amazing. I don't know if you knew this. I don't know if you've ever read this, right? Jesus, God, he is incredible. And when I look at his character and his nature, the more I read, the more I'm like, I want to be around this guy all the time. Am I reflecting on Jesus's character? That's a great way to jumpstart a relationship. If you feel like you're, you put it in idle right now, if you feel like you've been derailed, reflect on the character of Jesus. Who is he? Cling to him. Another thing I think about with my wife is just the amazing things. She's very responsible. The things that she did for me when we were dating and staying up till 2 a.m. or longer studying organic chemistry in donut shops, like that's dedication that she would be there with me, right? Like my wife absolutely loved me and there's so many things I was thankful to her for. And I mentioned I wasn't the most responsible. She taught me a lot of things that were responsible and I was so thankful for her. Did you know that we have millions of things to be thankful to God for? all the way from the fact that I have a circulatory system and blood goes where it's supposed to be. And because when it doesn't, we feel it and we know it, right? We have so much to be thankful to God for. If I can build this habit of thanking Jesus, it makes me in awe of him and so, so desiring his presence in every part of my life. Another one I think about is um, time. We really need to commit time to each other. And um, some of you might have a story where you're like, oh, it was love at first sight with my spouse, right? Like, which I, I always am a little skeptical. I'm like, how can I love someone if I don't really know anything about them, just what they look like, right? My wife and I, it wasn't love at first sight. In fact, we always tell the story. I looked at her and thought she was weird. She looked at me and thought I was bizarre. So, right, that's, that's, that's not a Hallmark movie beginning, but that's, that's where we're at. We're like, hey, she's weird and he's weird. And, but we got to know each other and I realized I love the weird, right? I love everything about her. I love everything that God's made her to be. As we spent more and more time together, I fell in love with her and we got married, right? It's because I couldn't, I couldn't imagine myself without her. Same thing with Jesus though. Am I spending time with him? Am I giving him time in his word and in prayer and bringing him with me through the day? That's going to grow and increase my love for God like nothing else can. Uh, one other thing that I think about is the people in our lives. There were people in our lives that were so supportive of us, like they were for our relationship and encouraging us along and praying for us. And there are other people in our lives who really weren't that interested in it. And like even, even some guidance about, hey, it'd be nice to check out other people, you know, like, are you going to settle for that person? Or we realized that the people we were going to really allow access and encouragement to us were the people who are going to fight for that relationship. And with Jesus, I think the same thing. Who am I surrounding myself with? Is it people that have my best at heart? Or is it people that they're just kind of there? You know, like who I surround myself with. If I get a bunch of people who are passionate about Jesus around me, it's infectious. It's contagious. And so many of you are those people for me, right, as I'm looking out here. The people I surround myself with are really important. So making it my own involves me saying, you know what, I'm going to pursue this relationship with Jesus. And I can promise you, if you do this, if you do chase after him with all your heart, those descriptions of heaven are going to sound like, like the, the best possible thing you can ever imagine. So make it your own. This, the second thing that I see Paul telling us here is he says, forget what lies behind. Very difficult. Forget what lies behind. Well, what does Paul mean? And I think there's a 
things that he's explored with us in the book of Philippians. First thing I'd see is temporary desires, that their God is their stomach phrase that he used. Our temporary desires, that's something that's usually rooted in my past. It started back then and it has just owned me since then. These cravings, these lusts, whatever it happens to be, I need to leave that behind. I've got to forget that that's even a part of it. Uh, we were talking in our content meeting about this, and, and Richie had said, yeah, you know what? When we're really following Jesus with everything we have, we don't even think about that stuff anymore. Leaving it behind means focusing on Jesus and plowing ahead, surging ahead with him. So my desires, my cravings, I'm going to leave that behind. Another thing is I'm going to leave behind all of the shame and guilt of past mistakes. Anyone in here ever made a mistake? So 90% of us haven't. That's impressive. I don't know how you got this far, right? Like, okay, we've all made mistakes. We've all got stuff in our past that we're probably shameful of. Like, I shouldn't have done that. And it's so easy to wallow in guilt and shame, right? It's so easy to get stuck in that. That's the devil talking, and he's trying to keep you stuck right there. You know what God says? You're pure and clean and spotless in my sight. Because of what Jesus did, you are the righteousness of God. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you with everything I've got. Let's go do this thing together. Jesus doesn't invite us to totally forget what we've done in our past, but he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that. I'm going to make it part of your story, and I'm going to give value to it so that down the line, you can share with other people just how much God has done for you, and you can help encourage them not to make the same mistakes that you made in the past. You see, we can forget what lies behind like that. Another thing that comes with forgetting what's, what's, what's behind is difficulty and pain in my life. And this one's a really hard one, a really sensitive one. If I am experiencing pain, if I've experienced a lot of it, if I'm in the middle of it, it's really tempting to get derailed, to really just focus on all that. And in times where I've been in pain or difficulty, it's really easy to go into like crisis survival mode. I just need to get through this day. I just need to get out of here and make it to the next one. And and what ends up happening is slowly Jesus is leached out of my awareness that I'm even pursuing him. It's easy to forget God. And what, what Paul is clearly telling us through his experiences is he's experiencing a traumatic time in his life and a difficulty and pain is it's not worth it. It's not worth it to just focus on the pain and, and the difficulty. Jesus offers so much more. And in fact, he offers you joy and peace and comfort right in the middle of it if you're willing to continue to pursue him. So I need to leave behind the, the throttle hold that pain and difficulty want to have on my life and say, you know what? I'm going to trust Jesus to carry me through. I'm going to cling to Jesus. Uh, one final one that I think of is from last week's passage. Paul talks about, hey, I was, I was born an Israelite in the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day. I had so much zeal. I had so much passion, perfect righteousness. He had all these things, right? And those are the exact things he said, those are garbage now compared to knowing Jesus. Forgetting what's behind means I need to not put stock into the things that I've accomplished and achieved and all those sorts of things. That will breed pride in my heart. That will stop what Jesus wants to do in my life. Do you know how many people have asked me what my grades were in high school since then? Zero, right? Like nobody cares. I don't even care anymore, right? Like I we need to leave behind those things that we're so proud of and recognize that, you know what, I'm actually very, very weak. Did you know that? You're weak. You didn't expect me to say that to you today, right? Like, it's so uplifting. You're weak. It's such a good thing, though, because our weakness gives God opportunity to come in and prove just how good he is. Later on, Paul's going to say, hey, my weakness, that's actually 
the strength that I have. God makes perfect his power when I am weak. So it's, it's so easy for that to be overlooked when I'm so focused on the past achievements and those sorts of things. Be free and just say, you know what, God, I don't have it figured out, but you do. And I'm going to rely on you for everything. So we need to leave, we need to forget what's behind us. There's so much more God's bringing us to. So number one, make it your own. Number two, forget what's behind. The third thing that I see Paul saying, and he says it very directly, and he's, he's careful with this word choice here, is strain toward what lies ahead. Did you catch that when we read through it? Strain. When I say the word strain, would you say that's a passive or an active word? very active, right? There's there's no getting around it. Is that like an occasional thing or a continual thing? Straining is this continued force or pressure over time, right? Paul's very careful in using this word. I'm not just going to mosey my way, right, toward what's ahead. I'm not going to amble or saunter my way there. No, he used strain, strain toward what God has for you. And all of this comes down to the fact that our citizenship, if you caught that, is not here, we think we're American citizens, and to some extent, sure, that's true, but that's only true for a little while. My ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Scripture elsewhere is going to say, you are aliens and strangers in this world. You're foreigners. We don't belong here anymore. We're not of this world. Heaven is now our home, and someday we'll be home. So live like we're citizens of heaven, not citizens of this earth. That's what he's calling us to there's so much energy that goes into this idea of straining. It's not passive. It's not occasional. It's continual. And I think back to my, my school work ethic or lack thereof, right? I wasn't really straining toward anything. I just wanted to get by. I just wanted to make it through high school, do a good job. And I kind of accomplished that, I guess, in one manner of speaking. But I missed out on so much. Imagine if I had strained and worked, fought and moved forward. Um, I could have learned things that would have carried through to today rather than having to learn them later on in life. Uh, there's a study that a, a church did a, a little while back. It was about a 10-year study. And they looked at the people in their church and compared over these 10 years their growth, spiritual growth toward maturity. And they, they said, okay, what is it that defines someone's spiritual maturity and, and defined all of that? And then they looked at it and they said, okay, there's this group of people that shows up four times a year for services. And then there's this group that shows up 40 or more times a year for services. And they say, okay, we're going to compare these two and we're expecting that the people who are there more are going to be more mature. They're less going to be less mature, right? So they did their study. And at the end of the day, what they discovered was it wasn't true. That the people who showed up more weren't more mature than the people who didn't show up. So like, what does make for maturity? And as they did this study, what they learned was people who spent even just 15 minutes a day with Jesus just 15 minutes even, they could see the growth over time. But the people who just showed up, they didn't grow. They, they were stagnant. The idea that Paul is saying is, I want to strain toward what Jesus is calling me, toward relationship with him, toward actualizing my citizenship in heaven. That's what brings the growth. And to be sure, those people who are spending that time with Jesus every day, those are people who are going to church, right? But that's the real indicator. Do I want to grow? Do I really want to experience the peace and joy that Paul is going to promise us in the next chapter? Do I want that or not? And if I want that, what it's going to call me to is to strain toward what God's calling me to. There's, and here's the amazing thing in real life is we choose to say yes to Jesus in this way. 
as we choose to allow him to spur us on and the things that he's passionate about to become our passions. As we do that, God's going to change the world. He's going to change our households. He's going to change your personal life. He's going to change your schools and neighborhoods. He's going to change real life, the church here. He's going to change Spokane and beyond the whole world through people who are willing to strain toward what is ahead. And I love how Jesus, the offer, he says, is give me your life in this world, and I already gave you my life, and, and I give you eternity with me. I want to spend time with you. See, the, the trade-off is really a no-brainer when I look at it, when I think about it. It is so worth it to focus on eternity rather than the temporary. I love that Paul loves you, loves this Philippian church so much that he's willing to bring us into his secrets, into the insights that he has into this. I know some of us in the room right now, you are doing this. And even as I'm looking out and preaching, I'm looking, making eye contact awkwardly with some of you, right? You are those people that are doing this. You are straining toward what's ahead. You are allowing Jesus to be the center of your life. And what I'm hoping you're hearing here is so much encouragement to keep up the good work. Keep straining forward. Keep moving forward because it is so clear what God is doing through your lives. And I just think about you. There's going to come a day where you're going to die and you're going to be ushered into Jesus's presence. And you know what he's going to say to you? Some of the best words in all of scripture, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in in my joy and my happiness. So if that's you, well done. Keep running that race. Keep those marathon shoes strapped on. This isn't a sprint. This is a lifetime of pursuit of Jesus. And as you know, he's going to fill you. He's going to fill you with everything you could ever need. Some of us in the room here, we are coasting. And, and this is such a temptation for me, right? Once a coaster, always a coaster, I tell myself a lot of times. It's not true, right? Jesus is changing that in me. But some of you have been coasting, and maybe it's just life so distracting and challenging that you've just kicked it into autopilot and worried about other And my hope for you today is that you're inspired to say, you know what? That's the worst thing I could do because Jesus wants to give me everything I could need. He wants to not just get me through this, but help me to thrive through this season. Some of you have been derailed by the difficulty of life and you're crushed and you don't even know what this next season looks like. And right now you are just hanging on by a thread. Jesus offers you hope right there. And it's so counterintuitive that, uh, do you know what a paradox is? Paradox, it's a weird word. It means that there's two statements that seem to contradict each other, but they're true at the same time. This is a contradiction in scripture. If you use all of your energy and all of your attention and focus on Jesus, he will fill you up with energy. In fact, he says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to fill you with living water with my Holy Spirit to the point where you overflow with how much you have. My encouragement to you, you might feel like there's no other hope, but run to Jesus right now. Go to him, fall on him, cling to him, and beg him to take you and lead you because he will. He's just waiting for that. Then some of you in the room, you don't even know this Jesus guy I'm talking about. Or you might be realizing in a moment, and that's why why we have passages like these, you might be realizing, I've called myself a Christian my whole life, but I've never really committed myself to him. I've never lived like any of this is true. Today is the day of salvation. 
today is the day for you to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, your first step and act of obedience is baptism. We've got the water warmed up up here. We've got people in the back with shirt, shorts, towels, ready and eager to help you take that step of obedience. Let's stand. I'd love to pray over you today. God, I'm so thankful for this family, for this group of people in this room who, yes, are committed to you. I just look at the faith of all these people, your presence shining through them and the the work that you've done through us. And I also see the potential of what you want to do moving forward, that this is just the beginning, that we have so much farther to go and so many more adventures to go on with you. Lord, I pray that you would take all of our hearts and you would build and grow in them with continual increasing passion, this love for you. God, we're recognizing this this world. It's the closest thing to hell we'll ever experience. It just gets better from here. And I love that even on this world, you're going to give us so much more than anyone could ever hope or imagine to ask for because you're that good to us. Lord, we ask that you would inspire us, you would challenge us, you would draw us toward yourself. God, we give you everything we have and everything we are and ask that you do miracles in and through us. We love you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.